John Jacob Niles played the Appalachian dulcimer, and he played the flute, and he played the folk guitar, of course, because he had a special interest in Appalachian folk ballads, and he traveled throughout the South gathering the songs of the mountain people. He was in the mountain town of Murphy, North Carolina years ago when he heard a little girl singing a song standing on the tailgate of a pickup truck. It was a pretty rough sawn family. They were camping out on the village square. It was the evangelist family, and the people actually wanted them to leave in town because they'd been camping out so conspicuously on the town square that the, that the village leaders went to them and said, we think it's time that you move along. And they said, we can't, we don't have the money. And, and they said, we, we need gas money. And so they said, if you would allow us to have a little, a little concert and collect some money, we will get enough money that we can leave town. And it was that, at that time when, when John Jacob Niles happened into town and he heard that, that last concert in town and he heard that little girl, her name was, it was Annie Morgan, and he listened to the little bit of a song that she sang. She was timid. She just sang a little tiny bit, and he said, if I gave you a quarter, would you sing some more? And so he gave her a quarter, and she sang another brief phrase. He ended up giving her eight quarters that day, and he got a little snatch of music out of, out of her that he eventually composed into a Christmas song that you may have heard before, I wonder as I wonder. That's where the song came from. Last, uh, last Saturday night, do you remember this? It snowed really heavy. And, and I, so I woke up early in the morning thinking, if I wait to clear the snow until after church, it might be too late. So I have lights on my tractor, and I got up at 5 o'clock, and it really is kind of like a Tonka truck. It's just good, clean fun. And at 5 o'clock, I got up, and I went out to plow the snow. But before I did, before I started the tractor, I noticed how beautiful and quiet it was when the snow had fallen. Have you ever noticed, uh, have you ever taken a winter walk, like good Michigan people, on a winter night, and you notice how beautifully quiet and still it is, and how beautiful the sky is, the creation of God overhead. And I had that experience last, last Sunday morning. There is something about wandering and wondering and thinking, especially this time of the year when we have a whole holiday that the whole world has named after Jesus Christ. It was a good time to take a walk in the winter and under the winter sky. And that's what, that's what I did. I want to give you, we want to do that in the, in the four weeks of Christmas. I want to give you a little special mnemonic device that I use to remember how wonderful Jesus is. And we're going to follow it through the four uh, weeks of Christmas this week, the 12th, the 19th, the, and the 26th, the Sunday after Christmas. We're going to look at places the Bible talks about Jesus that will help us see how wonderful he is, as sweet as he must have been as a little infant. He was so much more. So whenever I want to read about how wonderful Jesus is, I think of John 1, and then I think of Colossians 1, 
and then I think of Hebrews 1, and then I think of Revelation 1. And if through the season of Advent you take your Bibles and you read John 1 with reverence, and you read Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and Revelation 1, Christmas time will visit your soul. And those are the texts that we want to use for our sermons. Matthew, you know that the stories of Jesus are roughly told in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They're not really biographies. They're tracks with a purpose that drive toward the cross, the, the main idea. But, but, they, but scholars have studied the Gospels and found such beautiful and fascinating things about them. Matthew's gospel is aimed toward a Hebrew audience more. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's aimed toward the Jewish audience. And it, and it tells the story, of course, given the, 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 the birth narrative is, is from Joseph's perspective. Mark doesn't include a birth narrative, but it's, it's short and, and, and quick moving. And it's really the story of Jesus that might be aimed at a Roman perspective. Luke is the story of, has the story of Christ's birth from Mary's perspective, and Luke probably interviewed Mary. There's so much detail there. And everyone that studies this, scholars that study it, would say Luke is probably especially aimed at a Greek audience, Theophilus, O Theophilus. But John is the story of Christ's birth from God's perspective, from a heavenly perspective, and it's, it's cosmopolitan in its scope. It's worldwide. It's universe-wide. The prologue to the Gospel of John um, is 18 verses. We read 14. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, 14 verses today. A, a Bible scholar, Bible teacher who went to Germany to study, his name was John Piper, he, he went to Germany to study, and he said that uh, when he studied there in Germany, that in the seminary where he studied, they took 14 weeks to teach these 18 verses. Um, we won't take that long today. We won't do that. But the idea is the passage is, is rich. It's probably a, a synopsis of the whole gospel. And you know that the purpose of the gospel of John is given so that Jesus would be presented in such a way that people would believe in terms of having a dependence on God where their life would be transformed. That's what he's going to say. I'll read it in a minute, but it's in John 20, 31, the purpose statement of the whole gospel. And so we're in some, we're some, we're in some really rich stuff here. As Christmas comes, and there's so much, and we don't want to be crabby about it, but there's so much about the celebration of Christmas in our culture that's silly and frivolous. You know, Hugh's grandma got run over by a reindeer. Will Christmas be white or blue? You know, that kind of thing. I know, blue. I know what you're thinking. And congratulations, by the way, to those of you who are, who are fans of the University of Michigan football team, because, yeah, I just thought I'd give you a chance to celebrate that. Wonderful there. Um, anyway, but back to even bigger things. Hail to the victor, right? Um, Jesus. Um, the elders at Bethel, uh, a major goal that we have is to participate in seeing people come to know the Lord. And that's the way it's always been. And it's, it's, uh, I joined that when I, when I got to come here in, in 2017. One of the things that we want to do is we want to be good at gospel conversation. 
and we want to help the Bethel faithful to be good at gospel conversation. There's a really good reason why, because we need to tell the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to understand the heart of the gospel is who Jesus is. And so to study who Jesus really is, is to speak the right things to ourselves and to our own heart in that dialogue that we have, that inner dialogue that the most important conversation you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. And to tell the truth to yourself about Jesus is the most important thing you can do. And so the, the purpose of our messages here will, will uh, facilitate that to help you in the gospel conversation that you need to have with yourself. But then there are also people that you love desperately. The people that you love the most in the world, what they need the most in the world is the gospel. And you and I both know that the people that are closest to us are sometimes the most difficult people to really give the gospel to. You can't just sit them down and preach to them. It takes a lot of creativity and love, and it takes words and music. And, but you want to be good at gospel conversation because there are people that you desperately love, that you want to be in heaven with you, that need to know the gospel and believe the gospel. So it's important for us to study who Jesus really is so that we can have a gospel conversation in our heart and so that we can have faithful gospel conversation with people we love. And then, and then you know this, there are people that God is going to bring into your life who are as ready as blueberries falling off the, off the bush, who are ready to believe, who need to believe, who, who actually God is calling to himself. It's, it's, it, it, Paul went to a city and he said, it was a city full of pagans and said, God has much people in this place. All, all he could possibly have meant is that God intended to bring to himself people there. And there are people that God intends to bring to himself around us. Isn't that exciting to think? You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to badger unwilling people. Daniel, is this true? There are people who want to know the Lord. And they'll come to know the Lord if you give them the gospel. Daniel heard the gospel on TikTok. Of all the crazy places. Faithful gospel preachers on, on TikTok. Didn't you, Daniel? Came to know the Lord. And so there are probably people that work with you who are, whose lives are, are, are broken or sad or empty or wounded or, or confused. Many will reject the Lord, but some, you want to be ready with a gospel conversation. You need to know how to talk about Jesus and who Jesus is. I, I kind of, I've, I'm kind of overkilling this point. It's a good one to overemphasize, don't you think? And that's what we want you to so, so, I want to sweep through this passage, and we'll never exhaust this, but I would like to sweep through this passage in John chapter 1 today with you. Us together, sweep through before we take communion at the end of our service and then have a benediction. But I would like to sweep through this passage before we take communion. I'd like to show you 10 wonderful things about the baby who is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior out of this text. First, Jesus Christ is, number one, he's the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Now, John did something masterful here. He appealed to the Jewish and the Hebrew heart, and he appealed to the Greek mind at the same time with the same word. He said, Jesus is the Word, and that would have, and the way he arranged this, it would have sounded to a Hebrew, faithful Hebrew mind like, oh, this sounds like what? It sounds like the opening of the Torah. It sounds like Genesis, like creation. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. Doesn't it sound alike? And to the Hebrew mind who believed in the one true God, what is he saying? Jesus is that one true God. Jesus is Jehovah God. This is a shocking, 
powerful statement full of, of boldness. John is saying Jesus is God, the creator God. He's appealing to the Hebrew. To the Greek, this wouldn't mean that much. They had lots of gods. And the Greeks outnumbered the Hebrews 100 to 1. But the same word, word, logos word, was used by, interestingly, a philosopher whose headquarters was in the same city where John was writing, in Ephesus. And he, made, he, he organized all of life around the idea of the word, logos. And John is saying to the Greek mind, he's saying, the word that all of the world is organized around is not a philosophy. He is a person, and his name is Jesus. So it was a masterful and amazing thing that John did. Norman McLean wrote a novella, a beautiful novella called A River Runs Through It. Maybe you watched the movie with Robert Redford. You should probably read parts of the book. The, 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 the conclusion of the book is some of the most powerful prose I've ever read. Maybe you've seen the clip of it in the movie with an, an elderly man who's the spokesman of the movie, Norman McLean, at the end of the movie, he's a fly fisherman, and he's standing in the Blackfoot River, and he's fly fishing in the, in the dusk. And then it voices over this elderly man's voice, and they read the last, the, the wrap-up, the denouement of uh, a river runs through it. Here's how it goes. Like many fly fishermen in western Montana, where the summer days are almost arctic in length, I often do not start fishing until the cool of the evening. And then in the arctic half-light of the canyon, all existence fades into a being with my soul and memories and the sounds of the big Blackfoot River and a four-count rhythm and a hope that a fish will rise. Eventually, all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks, are timeless raindrops, and under the rocks are words. And some of the words were theirs. I'm haunted by waters. John says, behind everything, everywhere, before anything, anywhere, is the word, Jesus. Under and behind and over and above, everything is the word, Jesus. This is Jesus the baby in Bethlehem is the word that organized the organizing person and principle and philosophy of all of the world. That's the claim that he's making. He's God, the creator, who's behind and above everything. The Bethlehem baby is the word, the first word, the ultimate word, the last word is Jesus. But that's just the beginning. There's so much more to ponder, so much more to stimulate wonder if you were to take a walk under the winter sky. One of the things you would want to think about is Jesus is the Word. The second thing is Jesus is eternal. Notice, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He will never have an end. When was the first time you thought about infinity or eternity? Do you remember? I was a boy. I was visiting my grandfather's farm. I was laying on the porch. And I was looking at the night sky. There were no competing lights, just stars. Somebody told me it never ended. I thought about God. My parents said, God never had a beginning. Jesus never had a beginning. He will never have an end. How do you think about something like that? Where were you when you first thought about infinity? 
Where were you when you first thought about eternity? Have you figured that out yet? Has, have you satisfied your mind about thinking about that? John says Jesus never had a beginning. He's eternal. You have everlasting life, but you didn't always exist. He did. And there's a boy lying on the porch and looking at the night sky and trying to understand infinity and eternity and God who is eternal. I, I, have, I wasn't able to do that, and I still cannot. And now that I'm older, I've come to see that humans are eternally insecure unless they orient themselves to the reality that the glory of God is set above the heavens and we find our place in this world at the mercy of an infinite God who came in this, into this world to be mindful of us or to help us. Like David said, when he looked at the night sky, what is man that you're mindful of him or that you would even have anything to do with him? And as we wander under the night sky, we, we think big thoughts or we look on a seascape or, or mountains. We think big things. This is, our souls are made for that. We need that. And, this, and, this, and in Jesus, we have this to think about him. And in the best Christmas songs, they reference that. Not just your favorite holiday treats or, or your favorite animated characters or, or, or your favorite presents or silly fun things like that but big infinite awesome things that our that our hearts long for john says this little baby jesus he's the word this little baby infant jesus he's eternal that's what john says look at verses four and five you see um i'm sorry one other thing verse three christ is the creator of everything verse three all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So the scriptures consistently teach, not just here, but other places, that Jesus is an agent in creation. Do you think the average person that strings their lights at Christmas understands that about Jesus? I don't think so. That Jesus was an agent in creation. Never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. He is the word. He's God, deity. And he is the creator of everything. So while we're wandering under the stars and we're in a perfect place to consider how the stars and heavenly bodies and everyone and everything everywhere that they shine upon came into existence. John says they were created, spoken into existence by the one who would come so humbly to earth as a Jewish baby boy and live in a common home. The creator of the cosmos occupied a cradle in Israel. Four. Christ is life and the light of men. So John says this baby is the Lord Jesus Christ is the word. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. The Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. This baby in the manger is the creator. He's also called the life and light of men. And would it not have been a shocking thing for us to be on earth when Christ Jesus was in his earthly ministry and at the end of the great feast of lights, when the lights went out, Jesus stepped forward and boldly in a loud voice said, I am the light of the world. What, what man in his right mind could say something like that? Unless, of course, he was the light of the world. Jesus did. And, and, and this is what John says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Without light, there can be no life. Light's a symbol throughout the Bible of ultimate truth. Without truth, there's, there's no life. Without light, there's no life. Without truth, there's no life. 
unless you have the right truth, you won't have eternal life either. And you won't have abundant life. And when life is snatched away from us, what hope do we have then? Because for all of us it will happen. What hope is there when, when life is snatched away from us? Or when life comes to an unsatisfying conclusion? Or when people suffer? Is there a truth I can orient myself around that will bring me life that is eternal and abundant? This is the promise that Jesus made. Through this baby, we can have life that is eternal and abundant, the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. We cling to that when life is snatched away from us. Until people are enlightened about the truth of Jesus, they walk in darkness, they perish in darkness, they're lost, they're, they're lost, get it lost in the dark. And they're hopeless. And they're helpless. Of course they don't love Jesus, they can't see him, they don't know him. They have to be enlightened. Who is the one who miraculously enlightens everyone who follows Jesus? Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit. John says, Jesus is the light, and in the light is the life, and the truth of Jesus is the life. I get lights at Christmas time. I think one of the things that's nice about Christmas time is the lights, don't you? Don't you love it? Ooh, ah. I got lights for my study. So I put colored lights in my study because my wife is mean and doesn't let me have colored lights at home. And I have colored lights in my study. And I have also white lights and I put them in my study. And then I have a loft. I have a little loft where I study at home in a barn and, and I've made that into a little writer's loft and I have a window up there. So I went out the other night and I bought a string of lights and I put them up in there. And they really were pretty. I stapled them in the window. And, and then I left them on. And then I went down and looked up and I thought, wow, those are so pretty. It's like I was a little 10-year-old boy again. Like, lights. I love, I love Christmas lights. What is it about us that we just love lights? I don't know. I, I think our hearts are drawn to Jesus, who is the light of the world. And then in the morning, I, I left them on all night because I wanted everybody who went by my house to know that I am celebrating Christmas. And then I got up in, early in the morning and the sky was clear and I went out to look at them again. And beyond the lights that were in my window were the lights that God put in the sky. And they were so much more amazing. Listen, listen, God wants you to know there is a light that gives rise to all the life that you ever long for. And his name is Jesus Christ. And to believe who he is and to rely on him, to depend on him, is to have the light that you long for rise in your soul. That's big. And then, number five, Jesus was heralded by, by Jesus, or, or by John and by Moses and others, but in this text, by John and Moses. So, so John says, this baby is the word, this baby is eternal, this baby, baby is the creator, this baby is light, this baby is life, and this baby is worth talking about. He's heralded. He, he's heralded by John. A forerunner goes before him. And Moses before that. 
And this is what he says. And so he breaks into, into this. Now, this is John, the writer of the gospel, is a different John than John the Baptist that John, the writer of the gospel, is referring to here. And so he says, um, he was not the light. I'm sorry. There was verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. So John the Apostle is referring to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He said he was a witness. He didn't call him a herald. I use that word. It's used lots of places in the Bible. Over and again here, he's called a witness. A witness is a simple thing. You saw something, you tell what you saw. You know something, you, tell, you, you know the truth, you tell the truth. There's something very powerful. When you tell people the truth about Jesus, some of them will believe. When somebody told you the truth about Jesus, you believed, and your life was changed, and your sins were forgiven, and you were given eternal life, and you were in fellowship with God, and we're going to get into that more. But this is another thing that John is saying about the little baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word, God, eternal, creator, light in life, heralded, if you will. It's amazing when you herald or when you witness about Jesus, what will happen? Um, the the, the purpose statement I referred to earlier in John 20, 31 reads like this. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't it interesting that this miraculous thing happens when a witness says who Jesus is and a believing heart is stirred, as a person is stirred to believe and believes, then you have life. I, I gave a man a Bible, and I said to him, read, his name was Jason. I said, Jason, read John, and, 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 and until you know what it's about, then come back and tell me what it's about. And, and he said, well, I have questions. I go, well, just read John until you think you know what it's about, then come back and tell me what it's about. And he went away, and he actually bought a big, beautiful study Bible. And I remember when he came back into my study, he sat in a rocking chair. He says, I think I got it. I go, what? He goes, Jesus, God, right? And we're supposed to believe in him. I'm like, you got it. You got it. That's what the book, that's what the book says. That's what John was saying. And when you believe, you have life. And Jason received life from God and was baptized. And he was a, he's a Christian dad. He's a Christian husband now. I remember when the last time I saw him, I, I was preaching and I gave a come forward invitation like we do sometimes. And, and he had been saved and baptized before. This invitation was not for salvation. It was, it was for something else. But I remember him coming forward and kneeling down, weeping. <laughs> That's the sweetest thing to see. A man before his family, before his church, humbled down on his knees before God, saying, God is my, Jesus is my God. When you understand who Jesus is, that's what you will do. And one day, everyone will be on their knees before him, whether they believe or not. But that's one of the things that John said about Jesus is, he, if you believe, that's what, what John heralded about Jesus. Later, 
he refers to Moses, verse 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, you have that beautiful passage that talks about how light about God is given through the law personified by Moses. Just the law tells us what God is like. But then when the gospel comes, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. So we have the gospel, if you will, the, the thou shalt, thou shalt not, and they reveal to us what God is like. But then we have the sweetness of the gospel that comes, grace, gifts, and truth through Jesus Christ. So I'm condemned by the gospel, and then I'm rescued by the, I'm sorry, I'm condemned by the law. You know what I meant. I'm condemned by the law, but then I'm rescued by the gospel. And both of them give me light about God, and Moses gave light about God through the law. Jesus comes bringing light about God through the gospel. And you and I have that same thing to speak to ourselves and to those we love and to those who might be ready to follow him. How wonderful is that? So I go to Denny's, and I falsely accused John Rocky of eating breakfast two days in a row at the same place. But it was a guy with a similar car. It wasn't John. John was eating breakfast at Denny's that morning, I found out. John, it's okay if I say all this, I'm sure. John, and John I was searching for a place for breakfast, and I bumped into John and a friend, and they invited me to breakfast, and his name was Ralph. And Ralph testifies, John, this is, John, I, I know this will be, a little hard for you to hear in public. He said John was used of the Lord to bring him back to God. He said he was raised in a real narrow home, and he got kind of forced to do things, and so he walked away from God for a long time. But God drew him back. John persistently witnessed to him, and he came back miraculously to God. That's what is his words. He came back miraculously to God. And he's a, an affectional Christian. You can see it in him. He loves the Lord. He serves the Lord every day. He wants to make him known. It's like, oh, he, he's become one of those witness people. That's what happens when the lights go on. I hope that's happened for you. And that's why the baby Jesus, the creator of God, in him we find a great purpose in life. One of the great, if you're floundering for some purpose in life, I don't it doesn't matter who you are, girl, boy, young or old, smart or not so smart, Michigan or Michigan State, doesn't matter. It, here, here's the thing. If you know who Jesus is, then one of your callings in life is follow him and help other people follow him. Go to the office party and represent. I don't mean you got to preach on the table. I mean, I mean go, if you do, take a video of that. I want to see it. But I'm not saying that. But you should be the one who's the Jesus person who loves people, who knows who Jesus is. They're not coming here. We got to go there. This is for us. And But there's so many people out there who don't know him. And so be a witness. This is, if you know who Jesus is, you, you got to be a witness. And then number six, number six is Christ is unrecognized and rejected by most. Look in verses 9. The true light which gives light to everyone's coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world didn't know him. Came to his own, the things that he made, and his own people didn't receive him. That's the sad part. That's the low point in this part. We, have, we used to have 10 stockings by the fireplace. Now we have two. All the children abandoned us. <laughs> they wanted to have their own stockings in the fireplaces. But I miss that. I miss when they were a little tiny. 
And they would say little tiny things. Don't you just hang on the questions of little tiny people. We were driving, looking at the lights one night, and our oldest daughter was a little tiny, and she said, Dad, are all these people Christians? Like, oh, I wish they were. Not everybody really understands. Jesus is unrecognized by most. That should make us think. It's the darkest tragedy, especially when you have the whole season with a name named after him. Most people in the world are on the wide way to destruction. They're on their wide way to rejection, ignorance, rebellion, self-will. When they could be in the family, that's number seven. Christ is accepted and received by some. This is the golden part, maybe, of the passage. This is the sweet spot. But to all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, who depended on him, right? Not just knew about him. Obviously, it doesn't mean that. You can tell it doesn't mean that because demons believe in trouble, but they're not converted. Those who believe in him become, look what it says. All who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become God's children, children of God. It's amazing. Everybody isn't a child of God by virtue of creation. They're creation of God, but they're not a child of God in this sense. The, the universal fatherhood of God is a false doctrine. The universal brotherhood of man sounds good. It's just not true. Not according to the one who is the light. He says people that are not yet believers in Jesus don't, are not in the family. They're not they're in Satan's family. They're not in God's family. All humans aren't God's children. All humans are God's creation, but, and we should respect them for that. But they're not God's children yet until they believe in Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. That's the sweet spot that you can believe and become, imagine, a child of God. Number eight, he's omnipotent. He says, verse 12, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Over and over again, you see the initiative of God, and it's referring to Jesus, and Jesus is the omnipotent, all-powerful God. Jesus is referred to in this way when people say that Jesus isn't God or something less than God or a God, but they mean small g. This, they're, this starkly contrary to everything the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. You can't have that Jesus. He's not a biblical Jesus. That's a false God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is very God of very God, never had a beginning, will never have an end, creator of the world, eternal. He has the prerogative of giving eternal life to people. Not just talking about it, but giving it to people. And only through Christ. And then number nine, Christ is God incarnate. So he's the word. This baby is the word. This baby is eternal. This baby Jesus is the Lord. Jesus Christ who is God the creator, light and life, heralded rejected by some, received by others unto eternal life and to become children of God, omnipotent God. This is Jesus of the, the, in, the, in, the, in the manger, and he's glorious. He has a supernatural ability to reveal who God is, the glory of God. He's glorious in his deity. The word became flesh, or God became flesh and dwell among us. We have seen, this is verse 14, we have seen his glory the reflection of who God is, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice the, this, the glory listed in these verses, the, the glory of God's deity in Christ, the glory of God's grace. He's full of grace or gifts. He just keeps giving it. He does, doesn't he? He just gives and gives and gives. He's full of truth. Uh, he is preeminent, not, not just prominent. 
like, like a foremost among, among others, but preeminent is this. Scriptures demand this, and, and he has the glory of his, of his revelation. Look there in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is, the fa- who is at the Father's side, but he, he has made him known. So there's the glory of the revelation. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus, who is God, who is the revelation of God. So as we look, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, as we look not on things which are seen, but things which are unseen, the things which are seen are transient, things which are unseen are eternal. I'm getting my oil changed by Sam. Sam is a sort of Muslim kind of. And I'm talking to Sam about Christmas, and he says, Merry Christmas. And I thought, well, that was unusual that a sort of Muslim kind of guy would say Merry Christmas. And I looked at him, and he smiled and said, I celebrate Christmas, you know. And I'm like, no, I didn't. How does that work for a Muslim, Sam? He's from Lebanon. I'm like, uh, I thought, well, are you Orthodox? Are you Catholic? Are you, what? you know, he, no, no, I'm Muslim. But he goes, I know that, that Jesus is one of the ways to God. He says, the way it is, Ken, is that God is on the mountain and there are many paths to God. And I know that Muhammad is one and I, and I know that Jesus is one. <laughs> and then I was at the doctor not long after that and I bumped into a, a young man from South Vietnam and he was Buddhist and he said the same thing. I, I celebrate Christmas. I'm like, I didn't know Buddhists celebrated Christmas. Yeah. He goes, because Jesus is a, a great teacher and he's a way to God, like a path up the mountain to God. Now, I didn't want to be argumentative, but I'll just tell you this is not the Christmas story, that Jesus is one of the paths up the mountain to God that you can climb. Here's the Christmas story. Jesus came down the mountain to us. The only one true God sent his son, our Savior, to be human being, fully God and fully human. He came down the mountain to rescue us. That's the Christmas story. That's the gospel story. I was uh, writing a Christmas sermon once when, before Hope took Hazard away to live with her. And um, because Hazard is Hope's dog. But he would come over while I was working and he would put his feet up on me and like, let's go. And it would be like, this either means give me food, take me for a walk, or play with me. But if you just play with me, he usually brings a toy over. But it, it doesn't mean, let's take a bath. <laughs> because if you say walk, he, he, he jumps around with his tail wagging. But if you say bath, he goes and hides under the furniture. <laughs> Sometimes I thought it would be really nice if we could save a lot of time and we could just communicate like grown-ups. Matter of fact, I think that's what you told me. You texted, Lois texted me, and I, have, I like to do secrets, and she doesn't like secrets. And she says, she texts me this week and says, I know you want me to leave you out of my sermons, I'm sorry. But, and she texts me, she says, why don't we just be grown-ups and talk to each other normal? I'm like, I'm like, because you know you did not marry a normal man. That is why. Anyway, wouldn't it be something if we could just all be, like, what, what if I could be a dog and communicate to hazard, like however dogs communicate? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't become a dog to communicate to my dog, even though I love him. All stories break down, all analogies break down, but God, he became a man. Take your communion elements.